Well, we've finally done it, Pikachu. We finally managed to take down the Pokey Corporation. Pika, 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 Pika! What do you mean you never wanted to do this, Pikachu? You, but you did all of this. Pika, 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 Pikachu! No, Pikachu. I may be Ash Ketchum, but what sounds funny about that name, Pikachu? Ash Ketchum? Does that sound like a name a regular human being would have? Pika? Pikachu? Or is it the name that a Pokemon would make up for their imaginary owner? Pikachu. That's right, Pikachu. That's right. It wasn't me who branded you a lie. That was you. Pika? It wasn't me who had had a friendship with Misty and Brock. It was you, Pikachu. Pika, Pikachu? I didn't kill Team Rocket. That was you. Don't you get it, Pikachu? Don't you remember that first time we fought in the parking lot, Pikachu? Don't you remember it? Pika? You weren't kicking my ass. You were kicking your own, Pikachu. Your own! And now, there's nothing to do but watch the bombs go off and watch the Pokey Towers come down, Pikachu. Pikachu! That's right. Pokey Fight Club was you all along. <gasps> Pikachu! Welcome, uh, welcome to Ruba Uncut. I've got a uh, longtime uh, friend from real life. Uh, welcome to the show. Introduce yourself to the people in whatever manner you would most like to be known. Oh, I'm Paul. Um, uh, I, I'm six feet tall. I drive a car that's six feet tall. I have um, six dollars and that's six, six, six. So that basically makes me the devil. And uh, I'm from Ohio, like most people, I think, these days. And um, respect. All right. Awesome. Welcome to the show. We've been having a, a nice casual conversation. Some of it was cool enough that I was like, you know, we should just jump right into the recording. Although now I've probably totally derailed the cool things that were happening. Let's see. What were we talking about again? We were talking about, we were talking about how when there's a satire... Oh, it depends yeah. on people coming from a certain point of view to understand it and having a certain like level of like, I have a healthy mindset about life. I got a healthy idea of what culture and shit ought to be. Mm-hmm. And I swear. You can swear. Yeah, no, it's called, un- it's called <laughs> Ruby Uncut. So you can swear. Oh, it's uncut. Okay. 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 Uh, What's your view on circumcision? Anyways, no, but the- like... I am against circumcision. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like there's satires. Mm-hmm. We're like, it depends on people to like, you have to have a certain level of like being a healthy person, or whatever, or whatever to get it. Yeah. And then a ton of people don't get it and they just roll with it. Like, yeah, that's really funny. And I was thinking my go-to example is Warhammer 40K. Okay. Yeah. I, I think I know where you're going with this, but continue. Yeah. No, Warhammer 40K. It's like, it's like these British people did it after World War II. Everyone's like enslaved to a giant, like to, to, um, 
God, this giant fascist government that sends everyone to die in like weird heresies in the middle of space. Uh, the entire thing's falling apart. It's just late, like decaying fascist empire. And at the center, it's like a really good guy who's been trapped in the middle of it. So it's kind of like Jesus. And it's and people were like, yeah, man, that's rough stuff. You know, everything's kind of sick. Everything kind of kind of twisted, you know, like like how the state is violence and stuff. I feel like there was a lot of that in it. But now you get people who are really just into it. They're like, yeah, my train's going to crush your skull. I'm bad. I'm badass. I mean, this, this is the thing, like, it, it, you see, I mean, it happens all the time. Like, you see people who unironically are like, oh, Rick and Morty, or, or specifically Rick from Rick and Morty. But, like, the point of the story is, is that Rick is sad. And, like, and then you get, like, uh, Fight Club, yeah. another famous example. It's like, well, the point is, is that, like, he's poisoned his brain with toxic masculinity. And even though yeah, I think has, that was toxic. His complaints, his complaints against against cap against late stage capitalism are valid, but his response to them to go like into a primal like dehumanizing cult is like <laughs> not positive. <laughs> and then uh, let's see here, what's a oh man, it's uh, let's see here, what's another good example? Like, I mean, the thing is, is that like sometimes though, sometimes it it is a little bit on the artist. They make sometimes they make it a little bit too um, obscure. Like most people, if like most people get that RoboCop is a satire of the '80s, but less people know that Paul Verhoeven specifically made specifically specifically RoboCop is meant to be police Jesus because mm-hmm. it, it's it's basically meant to be a satire of copaganda. I knew that he, I knew that when they got blown apart, it was, yeah, I, you know, I just saw that like two weeks ago. I just rewatched Robocop like in the first time in 20 years. And I, I actually thought it was good. I actually really sympathized with the guy. And I was surprised because I'm like, this, this Paul Verhoeven satire, he's really cynical. He's going to be like, he's going to make the Robocop a bad dude. But Robocop was a really good dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Robocop, I mean, he is the, he is the, he is a good dude who is enslaved. Well, as the movies begin to point out, it's like basically enslaved to the police state. Like he has no, like the following movies are all about how he has no autonomy. Um, and like, there's mm-hmm. even a debate in the sequels if he's alive. Although in fairness, the sequels are not good. Uh, they're not good. Movies. Um, I was about to say, I haven't seen them. I don't know. I figured they'd be bad. They're pretty bad. Um, like, the How many Robocops movie, have you watched? I've actually you- seen I've seen the three main movies. I did see the remake, uh, which was interesting because like, so like it's weird because like the remake, the first RoboCop movie is like kind of like a postmodern satire of the 80s. And yeah, then like, um, but like RoboCop, the reboot is kind of a very unironic, like modernist take on RoboCop like it's, it's much more about the fact that like it's much more about it's it's much more serious for one thing like the only thing that even is remotely ironic in the in the in the reboot is that Samuel L. Jackson appears as like this sort of TV personality who is like pro-war uh like pro-military stuff but beyond that they break like, back the very, commercials it's like very unironic compared to the original RoboCop, which is kind of weird. 
Um, no, it would it would have been just been for that like the RoboCop because the first RoboCop is like he's a good guy, but the corporation has control over the police force, and like he can't even do his job because some of the criminals are in the corporation. And that's like the central crux of the movie, right? And like there's all these 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 TV commercials that come in in the middle of it saying things like nuclear war is fun. There's a nuclear war board game that mm-hmm. encourages you to nuke your family. Yeah, it's really hilarious. And so like what the the new one is like what like. RoboCop is a robot cop and he's pretty cool. Is that it? I mean, basically, like, he, I mean, they still have the him being enslaved to the corporation thing in there. But, like, it's mm. all like, but, like, it's, it's all kind of serious. Like, it doesn't have that, like, layer of thick irony on it that, uh, that RoboCop has, um, which is interesting. I don't necessarily think, I don't remember it necessarily being bad. Like, I feel like it, the action and stuff was pretty, fairly decent, the acting was good. But like yeah. overall, like it's weird to see like RoboCop go from like this very ironic thing and transition it into a like like I said, going from like going from postmodern take on the character to a modernist take where he has like where it's more about his emotional state and like material facets of the world. It's very weird. It's um, this is the thing, though. I mean, like, even even the people producing these movies, perhaps on purpose, are in the crowd of folks who, like, don't get the satire, maybe, or who refuse to get it because it would be, like, uh, threatening to them. You know? Did, you, did mean, you hear about Devo's song, Beautiful World? You hear about that song, Joey Devo? No. no. Uh, what's the story, Ben? On it? It's a beautiful world we live in, a nice and friendly place. But if you look at the music video, it's people murdering each other and nukes going off and, like, children starving. So it's like a super cynical, the most, a really horrible thing to watch, actually. Like really heartbreaking to see, actually. Damn. And um, and people were like, so if you watch the video, it's clearly like, wow, that's some intense cynicism and satire. And um, but Devo got a big, a big contract to put that in a vacuum cleaner commercial because nobody watched the video. So wow. I just have this song about like nukes, like people dying. And these vacuum cleaners moving around. It's really, it's kind of funny, actually. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty, that's pretty nuts. That's like, pretty holy nuts. shit. I do like, so I, I have noticed this thing and maybe it's related, but like, have you ever paid attention to like the comedy that's like either put out by like uh, conservatives or popular with conservatives? Mm, it's like liberals going too far with x y or z no i mean more like in a okay so like like adam sandler is uh or at least at one point i don't know i don't know how he responded necessarily to the whole trump thing although i know his but his buddy rob schneider seems pretty far right uh but actually no like i can even use rob schneider as the example like they're very it's very surface level like there's a very surface level nature to the humor like they, they seem to big into like juvenile stuff like uh like adam carolla is another example of like uh, a conservative right-wing comedian and then you got people like steven crowder who basically like can't do a joke that's not an ethnic stereotype um you got um people like jeff dunham and uh the blue collar people, of course, there's like a lot, there's like a very, there's a, there's okay. this, 
rarely is it like it's normally on this like surface level type of humor like they're using like specifically like stereotypes uh unmutable characteristics people falling down getting hit in the junk that type of thing and i'm not saying these things can't be funny let me be clear but i'm just saying like i have never like i i you rarely ever see like a very it has been a while since I saw anything that I could call very thoughtful conservative humor. I mean, junk, to be fair, is one of the funniest words on earth, but. I'm, yeah, like, like I said, I'm not saying the juvenile stuff isn't funny. I'm just saying I've noticed a trend that they like juvenile humor. I mean, let me tell you something. Like if you talk about ethnic stereotypes, here's, here's the thing. I would say probably very conservative kind of humor would be like, let's rally around the flag by making fun of like the other people right? Mm -hmm. Like a rally or circle your wagons kind of thing. Whereas yeah. the Devo thing, like not a lot of people would find that funny. It is funny, but it's also like harsh, you know? And maybe that's kind of like, you know, like let's fuck up the flag kind of thing. So I can see like the, their positions inherent in the humor. Totes. I, I mean, a lot, of, a, lot of a lot of satire is about sort of ridiculing society or the status quo actually okay so like even though they're really not i don't think i could consider them right wing anymore oh wait what up pizza's here yeah i gotta i gotta do this podcast <laughs> okay 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 i'm gonna eat a little bit longer. okay okay, mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. all right it's my girlfriend she got awesome. pizza Okay, but what's the status? What's the status quo? Tell me. So, like, a lot of satire is focused on making fun of the status quo or society at large or the basic problems with the systems and society. And by yeah. and large, a lot of conservative thought is about doing one of two things, which is to make you think that all of the system is bad or that the only things that ever really matter are our in-person, uh, like the individual the individual exchanges and yeah. that's sort of the that's sort of the way the conservatives sort of frame things and so there's no, so either they have no nuance when it comes to work to uh to addressing like the system as in the conservatives that have rejected the system or typically the people who have view it as more of everything as in a one-on-one -on -one sort of interaction um they almost resist any attempts to reform or improve the system because they because they worry about how that will affect specifically their one-on-one -on -one actions with other people and the reality is, is that it, it won't um it typically speaking uh and but also because they focus on these one-on-one -on -one actions they fail to understand the larger pick bigger picture context of how the systems influences our decisions and options and opinions Mm -hmm. is what I, is what i've found and so typically I mean, was I going with yeah this? like the idea is like personal responsibility and like yeah we should be able to do it on our own and and the thing is that no one is anti-personal responsibility everyone acknowledges. like the thing is is that like in more on like a it's sort of like a leftist context because leftist context is almost inevitably more about how can we make sure that the system is working better um well with the exception of like if you go into like full anarchism which is also on the left then that's more of a like how can we make the system as zen as possible where it does where it barely exists um but essentially which question, is something that a lot of conservatives and like people actually love yeah 
yeah do but the like this thing kind of though yeah yeah but like typically those people can't separate capitalism from anarchism and they don't realize that capitalism would create the same mm -hmm. hierarchy problems that exist inside of a state also where does your money come from without a state um and, who, and what would you do in an anarcho-capitalist system to make sure that corporations didn't just become the state? Like they, they, like the problem with removing the government completely is what do you do to prevent something or someone else from filling that power vacuum? And, Absolutely. I mean, and like somebody will. Problem. Yeah, exactly. Somebody always will. That's the problem with all anarchist stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I mean, that's why you want to create an anarchist. That's why a more thought out anarchist system doesn't completely remove the concept of like, Basically, a, a real anarchist system would basically be a form of democracy. Uh, but where was yeah, that? People going? doing stuff on their own. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're talking about humor. Okay. Yeah. So, so because of that, it's much harder for conservative comedians to really address this, like address systemic things, because that's typically what satire relies on. Uh, so they will typically attack more social things. Um, the only like. Like when I think of conservative com comedy people who I actually think are good, like I can't even really call them conservative, but like more just like the creators of South Park also really make fun of liberals a lot. And like the fact that it is, is that they are better at it than, con than more widely conservative people. Like conservative, um, that's conservatives, yeah. Like yeah. That's, just, that's just sort of the way it goes. But like when I watch other conservative comedians, it's like, first of all a lot of them just are old white men complaining like that's all adam carolla is that's what team that's what tim allen is now that's what dana oh did tim is. allen is Say tim what? allen on the conservative sphere is tim oh allen, man he's, he's more conservative than some of the people i've mentioned uh, oh wow that's that's incredible it's because he's the tool man he wants to yeah. he just wants to be with his tools the perfect tool utopia where there are yeah. no people only tools yeah no he which like you know interesting idea yeah <laughs> yeah he uh yeah no he i don't know if you ever saw his any of his 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 newer sitcom last man standing which i don't think it's on anymore uh, but it it had a it had its run on uh abc and then it got canceled and it moved to fox um but essentially the whole idea was is that he was a conservative dad who has like kind of liberal kids or or like his kid is married like basically just ripping off the Archie Bunker setup, except for the fact that the Archie Bunker setup was built around the idea that Archie Bunker would learn lessons that would teach him more about the world and how to be more accepting. And this was just, this is not about that because it's, it's not about Tim Allen's character becoming more progressive. That's, that wasn't the goal. <laughs> is, it about, is Tim Allen's character like, like is he just like, oh just, boy. Or does he change everyone's mind and they all like go to a trump rally at the end i don't I, I did not watch enough of the show to tell you ruben you have a job and hey, the job I, is watch this horrible show i mean i could do that for content that's fair i but like <laughs> do i want to do i want to do that to myself do oh, i no. uh, no. oh man but like i mean it's, it's a serious like satire is a thing that a lot of people struggle with like like one almost has to to wonder maybe maybe satire should be like maybe there should be like an age limit for satire like you have to be you have to be at least 25 before you can watch satire. <laughs> your brain must be fully developed. The, yeah man 25 it's a brain age 
totally you will not get this movie at 17 (laughs) (laughs) you're not wrong no i mean mean, unless unless you're like like, unless you're like a crazy genius kid but yeah like no like as a teenager you're not i mean you're not gonna get this it's it's the opposite of being a genius though because like because like really what makes you get like a piece a story or whatever satirical or not is that you've had a similar experience i think to like whatever the story's talking about that's when it really hits home for you when it can like mirror your own experience so i think the older you get like old books and stuff everything gets better i mean some things, some things i mean there are some things where you go back to them and you're like oh oh dear <laughs> like that didn't age the way i would have expected it to women's like, boobs don't work like that this book lied to me I mean that that's a thing too, yeah. No, like I I, re- I went back and rewatched Superman 2 uh with Christopher <laughs> Reeves. And like, the greatest. Yeah. I mean, like when I was a kid, I loved that movie. Like I actually liked it more than the Superman the first Superman movie, but now as an adult, yeah. I'm like, yeah, that Superman one movie was a lot better than Superman 2. <laughs> like as an adult, I'm like, okay, so Superman one is like actually kind of an interesting character piece about Superman. And Superman 2. Uh, people can talk in space and they well yeah what do you what do you think superman 2 that's what you wanted to do like superman 2 as an adult it's hard to watch because there's so many parts in it where i'm like but that's not how science works (laughs) it's just very like you have to like just take a deep breath room and it's it's very unrealistic and like the movie's just kind of full of stuff like that and it's so just Ruben, like it's, it's a very ridiculous movie that I that uh, where yeah. the special effects have not aged well. If you try to do, Petra, I'm sorry, you cut out there. What was that? If you try to, if you try to act like Superman in Superman Two, would that be problem? Would that create problems for your life? If I tried to act like Superman in Superman Two, yes, it would create problems in my life. For starters. Um, I can't go around expecting my kids to erase people's memories. Uh, for second, um, I, I can't, I, I should not openly go back to places where I've previously been humiliated with people just to, uh, just to like punch them into uh, pinball machines. Uh, like, like people forget that part, but like he actively like goes back and like vindictively <clears throat> like beats up this guy at, a, at this diner he had previously been humiliated at when he had when he had given up his superpowers to be with lois and that's not that's not very super heroic no it's not it's like what what, and actually it's one thing that's slightly worse in the in the richard donner cut of the movie like the richard donner cut of the movie overall is a better movie than the one they released in theaters but in the richard donner cut of the movie he doesn't erase uh, lois's memory with with his kiss he doesn't have that stupid power instead he uses the time travel thing to go back and stop himself from ever giving up his powers. And which means that he erases from time the part where that guy humiliated him, which means that he then (laughs) goes and beats that guy up in a timeline where he never did. For no reason. Yeah, like he didn't even happen. He's just there. There's no no crime. That guy up. That's incredible. (laughs) One, I think Jeffrey Dahmer is a great director. And I should go whatever he did. Oh, sorry, sorry. I think the Donner Party of Cannibals in Colorado is a great director. Yeah. Um, but 
Yeah, that sounds pretty intense. This is this is this is the great question, though. Have you seen the boys? I have seen the boys, and the boys is I've not is, seen the boys. The boys is a really good satire. Like, but like, is, but like, who's the who's the hero and who's the villain, right? And so I know that from Watchmen and shit. I read Watchmen. I didn't see the boys. Uh, similar to the similar to the Watchmen, the question of who are the good guys and who are the bad guys is yeah. a complex question. Uh, which actually, uh, one thing I've noticed is that a lot of people don't get the Watchmen. Speaking of things, like, um, yeah. like a lot of people, like a lot of people, um, started started this uh ver- this thing where they like started going on the internet being like if you thought that rorschach was a good guy then you missed the point and uh, but the truth is if you think anyone in the watchman is quote unquote a yeah. good guy you miss yeah. the point like they're the all like very watch- yeah they're all like very deeply flawed and they're like really extreme in what they do and really way too individualistic and like like um i mean they technically win Rorschach technically wins and so does Ozymandias but it's like boy your definition of winning is shitty like you should have done something else or work with people in some way I don't know like so like yeah like that's that is the thing like the point of the Watchmen is that they're not really superheroes they're just humans who live this way they're just human beings whose lives worked out this way where they have ridiculous powers or costumes or they have a giant flying owl machine and that's sort of the point it's like they're they're not really good guys or bad guys they're just people whose actions are going to have consequences in their world and uh so like people arguing about whether or not rorschach is a good guy or bad guy in the story it's like well that's you shouldn't really think he's either of those things he's just rorschach He's just a guy who has a lot of serious trauma and he processed it in an incredibly unhealthy way. This like conservative liberal divide. I feel like in Watchmen, like, I don't know. I feel like Ozymandias is the liberal guy and Rorschach is the really conservative guy. They're both. Like, I mean, in a way, nuts. yeah. I, I mean, it all depends on how you define it. Like, so Rorschach is, is, um, is conservative. He's meant to like be, a deconstruction of the superhero character, The Question, who was created by Steve Ditko. And Steve Ditko was a huge Ayn Rand fanboy. Who? Oh, was Steve Ditko that? Okay. Yeah, Steve Ditko yeah, did no, like Batman or some shit. He did a bunch of, I don't know what he did, but I forgot. Spider-Man. Like, yeah, he, he, he drew Spider-Man. Uh, which actually hilariously, like his politics were extremely different from Stanley's. Like Steve Ditko would like, try and draw in like teen protesters as a way to like criticize them. But then Stan Lee would always write dialogue where Spider-Man would be like, yeah, they should be doing that. And, <laughs> and like, um, did you see the Spider-Man where he does, does it with Ayn Rand and they have a baby and the baby is Atlas. I have not seen that one, but it does sound like Steve Ditko would have been down. Uh, that's one that I wrote. I sent oh, okay. it back in time. Yeah, Steve cool. Ditko would appreciate that story, but like he created a. So that's another Ditko guy. Yeah, he, when he 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 created Spider Man, but then later he created his own character called the Question, who was his his principles were based on Randian objectivism, and DC <laughs> later bought that character's rights, and originally the Watchmen was going to sta- star a whole bunch of superheroes from the uh, from the Charleston comic books, uh, who DC had bought in the and were 
bringing into the DC universe. But once they started to read what Alan Moore was writing, they were like, we want this to be its own thing, which actually almost worked out for Alan Moore, who would, would have gained the rights to all the characters he created um, oh, if the so book close. had ever gone out of print. Like in his contract, it says, at the point which this comic goes out of print, the rights will revert to Dave Gibbons and Alan Moore. Unfortunately, like, which at the time was not unusual. Like comic books went out of print all the time back in the 80s. The thing was, yeah. is the Watchmen became a phenomenon that never went out of print. It's been in print ever since. It's our fault, Ruben. We yeah, stole his characters from him. Yeah, but, but yeah, exactly. Alan, Alan Moore's great. Every time yeah, Alan is. Moore says something, I like, I'm like, damn, bro, like you, you hit the nail on the fucking head. He's, what's, you know what the weirdest thing crazy. about Alan Moore? He's a little bit crazy. He always yeah. does these stories where like, like there's like, um, Alan Moore will do stories with, never mind. It's like, it's like weird shit. No, he is pretty weird. He's pretty weird. But, um, but so like Rorschach was meant to be a reflection of that. Like his character was meant to represent yeah. Randian objectivism. And that, and so like, so Alan Moore has made it clear. It's like when people come up to him and tell him they relate to Rorschach, he's like, I want to get away from those people. <laughs> Cause they're no, but Rorschach had a fucked up life and shit, man. And yeah, yeah, you could see that he was like, he was always right into these conservative racks. Right. Oh yeah. That is the and thing. Like, like, Ozymandias had his fucking, his interview in like the New York Times equivalent, yeah. Yeah, I know. Like one thing interesting about Rorschach is that like there's nothing in the books that imply that he himself is racist, but it is worth noting that he he writes and reads the newspaper that clearly is. Like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that, that's interesting. That's interesting. But, uh, but yeah, no, there's, so like, but that is and Ozymandias is sort of like the more progressive type although like arguably the thing with Ozymandias is is that almost is that ultimately it doesn't really matter what his real politics are because he is ultimately like this sort of ultra elitist um he, I mean like he has come yeah, to the conclusion but... that he can save all of human humankind all it will cost is a few million humans um so so that's what he goes about doing and uh no dan i mean he of, did it dan is sort of the every man of the story uh night he's kind of an every man but he's kind of like he's kind of like he's a little milk toast he has a milk toast side well too. yeah no i, I mean that's, that's part of being thing. the every man character is to be a little yeah milk yeah fair enough uh and then of course, and then of course, like Doctor Manhattan. Silk Spectre. Yeah, there's Silk Dr. Spectre. She's the girl. Yeah. A Doctor Manhattan is the blue man. She, if it's not, there's not a blue guy. It's not really diverse. Well, like the, so the thing about man. the thing about him is that he really more represents like a character who is actually like has a god level power and like the idea of what that would do to a human being's like sense of self and ego. It was cool. I liked. I like how it went into the politics. You know, the Cold War got hot because the guy was there. It was just so scary and destabilizing. It's a yeah, no. situation. Superheroes suck. I'm glad we don't have any. I be crap. I, I, I mean, probably. Although I am obsessed with superheroes. I do. They're like yeah. one of my favorite things. 
And I will say that actually Dr. Manhattan is probably my favorite. Like when I was a teenager, you know, all edgy and shit, Rorschach was my favorite character. But as an adult, I, I was like, no, Dr. Manhattan is my favorite character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, he's kind of the coolest, I guess. And my, my favorite has to be, it has to be Ozymandias because <laughs> he's oh, the yeah. villain. Okay, so okay. Uh, he also kills the most people, which means he wins. That's how history works. So he, he did a good job. Well, um, I mean, there, there read... is, now history does also run though on the one up, on like the, uh, if you kill the guy in the history who got the most kills, then that also puts you at like a place above them, even if you're the only person you killed though. Because then you're that guy who killed them. You can also just die right like Jesus and win everything. I mean, yeah, but you know how many people want to, want to but it's clear how many people nowadays want to live the Jesus way. Like it's, it's like Jesus died for all of our debt. And, and nowadays people who love Jesus are like, what? No, we love debt. Don't take away the debt. Leave the debt. The, um, I mean, there's it's it's debt weight. Have you read Tom Strong? I have not read Tom Strong, but I know what it is. It's good, man. It's good. It's actually really good. Out. It's really it's it's wild. It's like he does it like it's an actual flipping comic book, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's like there's like he'll have one comic where it's just like clearly a guest artist except it's still him actually and he just writes it as if it were sunday funnies which is i guess what would happen to comics i guess in the 70s or whatever like I you mean, would have a guy come in who didn't know what the hell the comic was about and he would just do some bullshit it's really really fun actually nice i will have to check that out i did read his other one of his later like like he kind of eventually like burned out on superheroes but like one of his later superhero works also was uh top 10 which was a world where like there were so many superheroes they basically become just like the police <laughs> or the idea <laughs> um i think tom strong visited that in a spaceship uh, yeah i think there might have been a crossover on that one um yeah he did that a lot tom strong one time tom strong like just had to like fucking I don't know. One time a dude ran across the universe by like bouncing off of planets and shit to get to Earth, talk to Tom Strong and just took like a billion years because he was just a really buff dude. It's just really insane <laughs> shit. Okay, I have to read this now. It's it really, sounds amazing. It's, it is Tom really Strong. fun. Tom Strong. It is, it's, a really, it it's a fun comic. Yeah, the first, the first issue, he like, he like fights, fights to sentient mold in Pangea and then like he like he goes to an alternate universe with the Aztecs or like run by a snake AI. They become friends. It's like cool. Yeah. Actually, it's nuts though. It's nuts. What's um, you did the Swamp Thing. I wasn't, I didn't read a lot of Swamp Thing. I like Beef for Vendetta. That was good as heck. Yeah, Beef for Vendetta one? is good. League of Extraordinary Homies. Yeah, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. That's, that was a really good book uh, that was turned into a pretty terribly milk toast movie well hold on there was sean connor in it Didn't yeah he play an extraordinary guy i mean uh apparent like apparently that's the movie that made sean connery quit acting <laughs> like apparently his, his experience on while making the film was so terrible 
that like he decided to retire. Um, and actually it's, it's incredibly funny how he ended up doing the movie in the first place, which was that he had previously been offered the roles of like Gandalf and, uh, and Morpheus in the matrix. And he had wow. said no to both of them because he said he didn't, he thought the scripts were too tricksy. He didn't really understand the scripts to them. So he passed on them. Because uh, it's and, science fiction fantasy or because the, the scripts were just weird? Uh, I, honestly, I couldn't tell you which, which was They're the main but he it's described this old it Scottish man. And like it's he, this 1960 he, Scottish man. He reads like, there's an elf? Trixie. It's pretty tricksy. Uh, but like he turned down, he turned down those movies and then they made like tons of money. And he realized he'd lost yeah. out on a lot of money by not taking those roles. So he decided the next time he got a script, even if he didn't understand it, but it seemed like one of those kind of movies, he would take it. And so that movie was League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Oh my God. And it, it well, you know, to be out. fair, yeah, you know, he used to ball as luck being James Bond. So mm -hmm. I don't feel that bad for him, but that's a yeah. shame though, man. <laughs> that is a shame. He would have been a good Gandalf though. He could have been a good Gandalf, yeah. Uh, and also, could you imagine uh, The Matrix if it starred Sean Connery as Morpheus and Will Smith that as Neo? Badass. Like, what was that? What was that incredible movie? Did you see Cowboys and Aliens? I have seen Cowboys and Aliens. I read the book also. <laughs> Is the book better than the movie? I what I will say, I don't remember either of them that well, but I will say it's super weird that they cut out all of the Native American stuff from the comics. Oh, there's no, there's no Native Americans in the in the movie. I don't remember them being in it. They're a much bigger part in the so. comics. Like they're they're a much bigger part in the comics. And so, like it's it like in feels, does sound badass though. It feels weird That's that they're true. not in the movie. It feels weird they're not in the movie. <laughs> well, you know, they don't want like you know, yeah, man. You ever see uh, Native Americans and Indians also called Prey? I didn't see that. They say it's good. I did. See, I did see Prey. I did see Prey. I have. Yeah. Did, I'm sorry. Did you say you did or didn't see it? I did not see it, but I heard. I watched the YouTube review, and so I feel like I saw it. I. I do you like the Predator movies? Nah, the first one's okay. Um. Honestly, I thought Prey was really good. Like I had yeah. a. I, I had a blast. It's definitely a lot better than the last Predator movie, which is terrible. I thought that was when Predator and Robocop got together and had a baby. That would have been better than The Predator, which, <laughs> which is worse. <laughs> worse than that? Yeah, no. The pre oh my god. I've the Predator is literally about the Predators coming to Earth and deciding that they need to steal the they need to steal a an autistic child so the autistic child's dad who's a special like a special ops marine guy ends up <laughs> teaming up with a bunch of like uh mentally ill and and mentally disabled veterans to hunt down the predators really and have to like f yes this is the movie interesting I mean, like, I mean, how did it portray mental illness? Uh, Pretty great. It's not, it's not a good, it's not a good representation. Of, I don't know if it's a good representation of anything. Like, so for starters, 
the the autistic kid is like your standard like my autism is a superpower kid like we, we know yeah. this because there's a scene where like he's in a room full of chess boards and the bullies come in and they like knock all the chess pieces off and the kid can immediately after they leave just put all the chess pieces back exactly where they were um and then of course he can also decode the predator's technology because he gets his hands on a predator mask and that's how the predators think he's special is because he could decode their mask uh so they want to kidnap him and take him back to their planet but uh, meanwhile his dad who has seen the predators he's the military is trying to cover up the, the predator thing. So like they end up assigning him to like these people who were like the crazy bus. So he gets on this bus with all these other veterans who are like, they've all got like some type of diagnosis. Like there's like Thomas Jane is a veteran who has Tourette's. Um, and, and like, he's got, and like Keegan, Michael Key, like the best part of the movie is Tom Jane and Keegan, Michael Key's characters friendship. Like, in my mind that they, they are secret they are in my mind they are secret gay lovers but um in the movie they don't they don't acknowledge that necessarily but like their character like tom jane has tourette's and key michael keys like it's implied like at some point on the battlefield like he flipped out and tried to frag some of his team um there's another the the main one of the guys on the bus is this guy who tried to commit suicide um during active service and um these guys fight the predators did they win they do fight the predators uh side note the guy who previously uh previously tried to commit suicide uh in a fucked up turn uh like does a suicidal move and it makes a heroic suicidal sacrifice uh later in the film which feels weird um and then there's uh and then there's like a standard guy with PTSD. And then you have this one actor from Game of Thrones who is, who is never, we don't know what's up with him, but he's a sniper who does magic. Like there's not like, they don't say <laughs> what's wrong with him, but he just like does he's, magic tricks. He's actually autistic in the same way the kid is. Like he like, he was autistic and he learned how to like bounce bullets and shit. He like talked to, he was raised by Temple Grandin and like this I, kid. And that's why he's a, he's a genius now. That's a, that's a, deep cut reference uh but uh <laughs> so uh the uh what was i gonna say so but like the movie is not, not a good like, movie it's not good and it's not t- like the representation is not tasteful like there's a part in the movie where like one guy like uh like basically just one one character like drops the r slur and the other guy's like man don't say that his kid is and then he drops it and it's like <laughs> i feel like you just said that in the movie to set up this this joke that you think is more progressive than this joke is i mean i mean i mean they they have a guy with tourette's the most hilarious of all of all possible things which is um you know because he'll say like somebody will be pooping and he'll say like pee and somebody's gonna be peeing and he's gonna say poop and like that's really funny actually you ever I see mean, ghostbusters with all the women ghostbusters 20 women was that a good one? Oh, the the Ghostbusters with the women. Um, I thought the, it was the funny. Female remake. The the female okay. remake. I mean, it was funny. Uh, if, I mean, that's. I mean, honestly, like I felt like it got more hate than it really deserved. I mean, it wasn't yeah. like groundbreaking or anything, but I mean, like it it had its funny moments. 
Um, it probably yeah. would have been better if they let the director do an R-rated movie like he wanted. Uh, but uh, but like I don't know, yeah. Ghostbusters Just fans are the worst. Uh, and I say that as a big Ghostbusters fan. Uh, just like as a fandom, terrible. Yeah, you know what came out at the same time as Ghostbusters that was like really good. What's that? And also had a team of it was just a team of all women scientists. Not that a big deal was made about it. Was this thing called Annihilation? I have see seen that? that, and it's great. That's a great. That was movie. fucking nuts. That's a terrifying ass movie. That thing's like about suicide or some shit. Totally is. Because I mean, they all like they all look like weird shit where they all like kind of want to die and shit. You know, that shit Annihil- was really intense. Annihilation's great. I I really liked Annihilation. Um, it's yeah. it's it's tragic because what happened to Annihilation is essentially the movie studio like lost confidence in it as a film, and so they were like they did at the time what was a um almost unheard of deal where they released it simultaneously to like theaters and streaming service that's Um, right i forgot that i saw it in theaters yeah i remember that too but it was it was simultaneously released on like streaming at the same time which was not not normal at that point um but they had like lost faith in the film for some reason uh, which is weird because it's really good. And like the guy who made it is now recognized Dude. as like an incredible talent. He's um, that's cool. I got to look up who he is because I got to check out other stuff. Alex I always meant to check out Alex, Ar- Alex Garland. Garland. Yeah, he's that's a bit been, of a flowery name. He made um, he made that movie uh, Ex Machina. About that's the, the uh, one I'm supposed to watch. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's really good. Um, he good. He wrote the script for uh, Dread, the the newer Judge Dread movie. He wrote the script for um, that Danny Boyle sci-fi movie Sunshine. Uh, he made a new movie recently called Men. And uh, let's see, there was something else he made recently that was I feel like he made something else recently that was really su- really successful. But uh, but yeah, no, he's a uh, he's a talent. How many? Guy. Here's my question: How many women are in Men? Well, the concept of the movie Men is actually like is about a woman who um, basically she gets in a fight with her husband and her husband then uh, jumps off the roof of the building. And uh, and Men. so she so it's very traumatic for her. And she ends up going to this uh, to stay at this cottage in like this small, remote, rural England, England town. Um, and then a weird thing happens there where like all the men of this town like look like this same dude and like they uh, start... is this is this the fucking lovecraft is this fucking the the insmuth mystery or whatever I, I don't know but it's it is Are a fish it, it is a horror movie um it came okay, out this year i think or it was either this year or last year that was this year i did see that i'll do it i should have watched that i didn't even i need to watch that crap I think it was in theaters just now and I totally missed it. I saw the, yeah. the trailer and everything. Crap. I don't know. Yeah, I, have, I didn't guy. get a chance to see you know it. Who's, yeah. I didn't get a chance to you, see it. You know who's, who's actually really good? You know who else is really good? Did you see The Northman? I did see The Northman. Yes. I did. It was incredible. That guy, everything that, that guy good. has done has been awesome too. That was really good. That that was that is like in my top 
movies I saw this year. Absolutely. That was, yeah. I love it. You know, it had a lot of the, like the CG and the really beautiful images and shots, but like, like it worked really well for me. Yeah. The story was just so like intense mm-hmm. and terrifying and like awful, but like intense. Yeah, no, I did you really, about, did you, did, really did you hear about it. the fire? You hear about the fire at the circus? The fire at the circus? It was intense. Ah, uh, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty good. Yeah, I get. I good. hear you. I should have. No, seen but that that was yeah. <laughs> you should have seen those tents coming. Now that like, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. I really, I dug, I dug like the weird. I dug like how what was terrifying about the movie, and this like goes back to that guy's roots in horror, right? Was how mm-hmm. inescapable violence was in mm-hmm. the social structure. Yeah, like, I mean, like it's kind of a. Out that's kind of a big part of the movie is how, is how violence is built into like their culture. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. And like every part of their culture too, like you kind of get down to it. Like you think the gods are angry, you better kill somebody. Uh, someone, <laughs> someone dies uh, not in battle, but you need, you want them to get into the afterlife. Well, you gotta, you're gonna have to sacrifice some people to send them there uh i can't how does our economy, the Valkyrie? Well, our economy works because we go and we rob people and we take slaves and we murder yeah. the people who we don't yeah. think get slaves i want him to do the iliad now i want him to do the iliad and i want him to be just like dudes like killing each other and being sad i mean i'd be down for him to do the iliad it would certainly be better than troy it was a terrible movie um it, isn't troy that's the one sean mcconnery uh no, Troy is the one with uh, Troy is the one with Brad Pitt as Achilles. <laughs> Badass. Yeah, and it's just sort of like I don't know. It, it bothered like maybe I'd like it more now, but when I saw it as like a teenager who had like grown up listening to like like uh, the Odyssey and stuff, like there was yeah. a lot of stuff about it that really annoyed me. Like, yeah. like for starters. I, my understanding was this war lasted 10 years and this movie does not depict that. <laughs> would you have liked the movie more if it were 10 years long? I would have liked the movie more if there was a passage of time. Yeah. 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 But yeah. Dude. There's this really cool play from the okay. 20s, from like 1930s France called The Trojan War Will Not Take Place. And it's about like basically um, Hector is over in, you know, fucking Troy and he just got back and the Greeks just showed up and they're being dicks. Right. And they're beginning their siege. And Hector's like, this is, this looks bad. And he like consults an Oracle and the Oracle's like, you're all going to die. Bye. And Hector's like, Oh crap. Well, we should stop this. And he goes around and he tries to like finagle stuff and make like, make it work diplomatically and stuff. He's talking to prime. He's talking to people. He's like, we need to just be cool with these Greeks. I know what they did was really offensive right because it's paris's wife right and paris is an idiot mm-hmm. helen is like paris's girl and paris is like no we should fight and Hector's like paris you don't want to fight these guys well and i so, think i think they would have to give the girl back uh to stop the fight wouldn't they yeah i think that was it and yeah helen was like helen was just like not paying attention the entire time and Hector's like helen would you please focus <laughs> and so the entire it was really cool because in the end he almost got it to work but like like a dude in his own party like like through a spirit of Greek at the last moment. So the Greeks turned around, right? And what's cool is this was written 
Um, and it's like, if nobody wants the war to happen, but the war's going to come anyways. And it was like, it came out in 1932. Oh, wow. Right? In France. It was really, it was cool. Because you can see what's going on there. I'm going to have to check it's that like, one everyone, out. Yeah. It's, it, it, it ends pretty good. It goes a little long, but it's like it ends pretty good. So, so one of the things, so part of how, how this uh, came about us talking here and whatnot was that I had made a, a podcast about, uh, about the Pokemon world. And I, I, I want to say beforehand, uh, I too grew up loving Pokemon and I still love Pokemon. And I made this video in, in good fun, in good fun of making fun of Pokemon. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, no, I, uh, I, 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 I figured I would have you on and we could talk about some of our differences we had uh, about the Pokemon. Really, really, Ruben, mm-hmm. this boils down to a question of personal responsibility. Can children <laughs> give me control over all these monsters and shit, like be cool and shit, like be good? And I would argue that yes, so long as there exists a system for um, elevating like like the good, I don't know, the kids who do a good job and like like punishing the kids who do a bad job. But I think that system is inherent within the Pokeverse. Well, I mean, my <laughs> implication is that, you know, if they do a bad job, they're going to die in the wild. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was my major, that was one of my major. My, okay, so actually uh, the basic theory that I wanted to put out there was my theory on yeah. why, on why everyone, everyone, and how why every kid in every Pokemon game has a single mother? Uh, like that, that is <laughs> that's the basis of my theory, really. Um, but uh, I will say there are a number of things. Uh, there are no, there are a number of things that I will I will say I still disagree on. For starters, uh, the Pokemon are not unkillable. The, they they tell us about quite a. There's quite a few moments in the cartoon where it's implied that, oh no, the Pokemon might die. Right, right. And um, Pokemon Tower is about dead Pokemon, actually. So they do die. True. So they can die. Uh, but even if they were immortal, it would still raise the question, is it right to make them fight until near death? Um, I mean, like, that's just like, really we have to think about, I mean, this is another very conservative point, though. Like, this is something that people don't want to accept, though, is the fact that violence is in an inescapable part of the physical universe. And I don't think we're ever going to live in a society or world without violence. And seeing as that is the case in my point of view. But some people say that we can cure violence if we get an AI or like really nice dicks or we like do I yoga. Mean, it's true. If, if everyone had a great dick, a lot less men would murder each other. We'd just be slapping our dicks against each other like, hey, bro, what up? No, yeah, no, no yeah. absolutely. It's <laughs> it doesn't make sense, and it's totally insane. But if if everyone was was packing a solid dick, a lot less men would murder each other. So, so ultimately, I don't think that you can really escape violence, though. Right? Oh yeah, like no. Violence. As long as there's this massive dick inequality, it's going to be a huge problem. <laughs> that's what that's what Marx wrote. Oh yeah, no, and he so, said you got to even out the dick sizes. <laughs> you got to like, yeah. Like give somebody, you have to like give somebody more dick, give somebody less dick. It's about each according to his need. Yeah, and and you know, all men will say they need more dick. <laughs> well, except unless they've already got too much dick. Because all because I've talked to people with the giant dongs, and there's like it's not all good news. 
I mean, there are people who would say, who would say that, like, I mean, how many people are going to admit that they don't, you know, they don't, they don't need more dick, right? Or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that is, so if, violence... if you ever watch, if you ever watch those like late night ads where like they're talking to you about like when a dick is too small, it's always vague. It's always very vague as to what is a good size dick. Those, the women don't say what a good size dick is in those ads because presumably, presumably my dick. I mean, yeah, that's no, what exactly, they exactly. If they if they made it specific, there wouldn't be room for you to have that sense of insecurity and yeah. want to buy the product. If they're like a two inch dick is small, you'd be like, "Well, oh, check next." And you just yeah. wander oh, off with your Pokemon. Well, I'm way bigger than that. Life. I'm good. So, like, there's violence is going to happen in the world, man. And so long as there's violence, mm-hmm. there's going to be a need for like people to like deal with that shit, you know. And in this world. It's the Pokemon. And you could say that the Pokemon, you know, like, like, you know, like in, in the way that like industrial machinery in theory yeah. should allow us to save labor, right? The yeah. Pokemon allow us to save ourselves, like um, the pain and struggle of violence, right? But also um, labor. They are yeah. also used. They are also used for labor. That's right. That's right. I remember in Vermilion City in the first game, you have a Machamp, no, a Machoke, who is stomping the ground flat so someone can build a, a house. So... So I, I read this interesting thing uh, recently, actually. Um, so like shortly before he died, like the guy who like did was like the main like creator of the, like the cartoon show itself, not like the games, but the yeah. cartoon. Yeah. Apparently he had a way that he wanted the show to end that he he knew Nintendo would never agree to. And like shortly before he died, he like said what it was. He had this he had this image in his head of where the Pokemon would become self-aware of their enslavement. And then Pikachu would lead, <laughs> would lead a revolution to free all the Pokemon from their servitude to humans. Is that real? That's real, yeah. <laughs> that guy's fucking with me. That's awesome. Yeah, no, like, part of me would be like, okay, that would be an amazing way for the show to end. But it's, it, I mean, like, I can tell why he, he's like, Nintendo would not have gone for it. No, I don't think so. I read a fan fiction that was about that when I was like 13. It scarred me for life. It was like, <laughs> it was really terrible. The Pokemon made up their own language and shit. And the word for slave was just a picture of a Pokeball. And that's what I remember from this fucking thing. It was, it was intense. Like that Gyarados were coming out and killing people. They had I to mean, kill all the humans. It does tie into the idea that Pikachu refuses to be kept in a ball. I mean, there's that, that, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, Pikachu's the natural leader in this situation. Yeah. <laughs> and yet Pikachu, I think Pikachu has caused much harm in his own day. You know, like, you think, the thing is, those who accrue power always do evil things to accrue power. That is the nature of power. So if you want to have somebody to do good, they got to be powerful, which means they have to have already done evil. So why would they do good? And this is the tremendous question. And Pikachu destroyed a Poké Center full of Chanseys in episode two. And the Chanseys would be point. against him. They would be against. It. That was a massacre. That's an interesting point. He did destroy an entire Pokemon Center. I mean, you could say, well, he was fighting off Team Rocket, which is true. Yeah, but, but like, but like, arguably, arguably, like, would you say that, like, oh well, the cops were trying to stop these criminals, so they just dropped a bunch of grenades on the bank they were robbing? <laughs> would you Would you say that, like, the bombing, atom bombing of Hiroshima was justified? Because of the evil of the Japanese fascist government, see, and that's uh, like that's the same thing as Pikachu and these chances. I mean, in hindsight, I would say no, but like at the time, at the time, I could understand how they 
sold the idea. To we people. have a bit of Pikachu in all of us, really. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's probably true. We probably do have a little bit of Pikachu in us. Uh, and, and not the way that the internet likes to put Pikachu in a little bit of everyone. Where Pikachu like fucking people? Probably. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I was trying to keep it subtle, but yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Fuckachu. They call him Fuckachu. Yeah, no, like to those unfamiliar with this concept, I'm sorry, but um, the scariest part of the internet. Get my charger. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll direct. I'll direct this comment. Actually, wait. I need to plug my my computer in. No, but like. You got a little funky. The thing is, there exists there exists um, um, a medium. There exists a medium. Can you hear me? Okay. Uh, you're you're a little uh, you're you're breaking up a little bit. but I, I seem to be better now maybe listen okay how's that okay listen listen okay I'm so listening. the pokemon are what separates the wheat from the chaff because the pokemon are only like it's and this is this is part of the canon this is what they say to you at the end of the elite four is that if you love your pokemon they'll fight harder for you and that's why you won right Mm -hmm. whereas people who like are bitches to their pokemon or mean to their pokemon they will win out so ultimately what you have is an empathocracy in which the most powerful members of society are empowered by being nice to animals that they train to murder other animals and this like this is kind of a warrior ethos certainly but ultimately yeah. like you do have to show a great deal of kindness to your pokemon and um, there's no personal violence so i feel like ultimately you're going to have like only like pretty nice people well, I mean, like, that's my argument. So, okay. So, um, yeah, I remember your empathocracy one. So I will say that, like, I do have, I do have, I do have some points uh, about that in my mind here, which is, uh, first of all, um, empathy towards, like, animals, while it is true that, like, cruelty towards animals is a good indicator of the way that people, that people will mistreat other humans, um, Empathy towards animals does not necessarily mean that people will have empathy towards other humans. Um, some animal lovers are, I, I've met some animal people who are very unempathetic and very cynical towards other, other human beings. Um, and technically, like, depending on like the level of the relationships that are being developed here, we don't know how these people necessarily feel about Pokemon that aren't their own Pokemon. And I would also say that that the society that it's hard for me to believe that society totally runs on empathy when there are so few services provided to the average civilians like the well, well they have free health care well do they do they have free health care for humans they have free health care for pokemon but like hospitals are sort of far and few between in the pokemon universe 
and um, well, for humans. And then mm. also, like, it seems like most children's education goes until like the age of about 10 or 11 when they go off into the wilderness uh, to earn a living. Let me tell you about something, though, man. Don't we all go off into the wilderness at the age of 11, in a sense? Uh, yeah, but that's more metaphorical. <laughs> uh, but, uh, so, like, I would say that's, that's my only thing there, is that, like, it doesn't feel like the empathy necessarily actually, like, totally resonates throughout their society. Um a weird thing about their society also that I didn't really touch on, and maybe you might have some interesting thoughts on this as well, is also like, what's up with um, the fact that their police force and like Pokemon medical uh, staff are clearly like some type of clones or something? Like, like what's up with that? Officer? That's, um, is that I don't like know. Spain? I don't know where that comes from. Is that ever explained? <laughs> no, they're just like oh, oh you're breaking up. Probably like you know, that that's that's um. See that that is evidence of Malthusian practices. See because what happens is they'll have like people not having too many kids, and then they'll have like somebody have having like a ton of kids, and they all have to go into the police force. So you can see that they're like they're being very careful about how many people they put into the world. You see, so they're pro-abortion. I mean. I mean, if they were totally pro-abortion, would there be this many single mothers? Mm, yes. I don't know. Um, ah, well, you see, I don't know, man. That's a great question. I feel like I feel like with those dads, or like they're probably at a big barbecue on Dad Island, where all the dads are like, you know, hanging out and being bros or being gay. You can be gay dads. I mean, and, I think um, the. The implication that I would assume is that either they're deadbeat dads, like like Brock's dad, um, who, or like they're either away from home fighting Pokemon to make money to send back home, or you know, they uh, they fell down a crevasse somewhere trying to catch a Pokemon, and their bones have been picked clean by uh by like probably those Paris mushroom crab things. There's a vulture Pokemon later on, but yeah. Yep, totally. see, vulture Pokemon coming down, picking them clean. The Pokemon are not animals, though, but that's a funny thing, too. I think that's one of the most confusing are... parts of the entire world is that Pokemon are not Hold really on animals. I Hold think on, Pokemon are like um, super weapons developed. Oh. Weapons developed by the army who decided to be cool guys. So, it, in in Europe, so like, have they ever explained where Pokemon actually come from? Like, some of them. Well, are, they hinted it might be the moon. It might be the moon. Interesting. That was in like episode six, like when they had the Clefairies from the moon, and they said that Pokemon might have come on a spaceship from the moon, and then the Clefairies in a later episode did clearly have a spaceship. It's, it's, and uh, you know, that's not just like being Japanese and funny. It means that there's definitely really from space. And um, the other possibility, considering the cloning of Mewtwo, right? They know they can clone Pokemon. So, like, maybe Pokemon were genetically engineered or whatever. So, that kind of leads me to believe that maybe, like, the 
police and the nurse joys are also genetically engineered do you think nurse joy is mewtwo no no i'm saying i think like if they have the ability to clone people and and pokemon i oh, wouldn't yeah. be surprised if corporations made a bunch of like pre-designed clones to fill out specific functions in society like pokemon like pokemon like vets and and police women uh, that's yeah, a good question yeah well like i don't know it's it is interesting their society was like we want to have police women as our primary uh defense force which does go against a lot of like stereotypes that you would expect a police women like making out because they're like police lesbians in a movie I saw about police lesbians. Yeah, that's the stereotype I would have. The here's the question though, like you know, you're assuming it's cloning. One, I just like to put forth a little bit of my hypothesis where Nurse Joy is Mewtwo. Hold on, you're have you're you uh, you're real. You're time. coming through that's real question. You're garbled. Garbly right now. Have you ever seen Nurse Joy and Mewtwo in the same place at the same time? I'm just asking questions. I mean, that's my question. I'm asking. I mean, technically, if you caught Mewtwo in the game, and you then <laughs> went to a Pokemon Center, <laughs> they would be in the same place at the same time. Well, that's just game mechanics. But listen, here's another question. Here's another question. Why do we assume that Nurse Joy and Officer Jenny are clones? Could it in fact be the case that anyone who wants to become a nurse or a police officer, these being vocations of great import to society, like they have to undergo, they have they to have leave their to family like... behind and get plastic surgery to all look the same. So be part of the medical corps. That's kind of and a also group, uh... abandon their original name to be called Officer Jenny or Nurse yes. Joy. Yes. I mean, it could, it could be that, which, although I will say that that is no less dystopian. <laughs> well, and, it's about, it's like RoboCop, you know, you have to like really want to be a robo and a cop. I guess so. Although RoboCop is sort of a dystopian take on the near American future. RoboCop fucking happened, dude. Like RoboCop is literally now, I'm sorry. Uh, it's been a while since I've been to, to Detroit, so I guess I can't speak on that. <laughs> but, uh, so, yeah. I mean, I don't think that, like, empathy is, like, throughout society. But I do think, like, the most powerful people tend to have that. And you can see this when, in Gold and Silver version, Lance of the Elite Four takes his dragons and goes to that uh, mahogany town next to the Lake of Rage to stop Team Rocket, right? They're policing. They're like yeah. Elite Four World Police, right? Okay. I mean... So then there's clearly a mechanism whereby the best trainers who are coolest with their Pokemon are also supposed to accept a social role. Really, it's kind of... They're kind of the watchmen. So... The watchmen I, of, of democracy. So, like... I mean, that's cool. But, like, that also implies that, like, they have a certain level of, like... Like who, like unchecked power, <laughs> like who, who's to say that 
the elite four couldn't start like abusing their power as long as they were still like good friends with their own Pokemon. Well, it's not a utopia, Ruben. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> but I am saying, I don't know, man. I mean, I'm just saying like, isn't it better for an elite to have a, a sense of noblesse oblige? I mean, if there has to be an elite. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I, I come from the position of like questioning if there has to be an elite at all. But I mean, like uh, if I, if, if in the objective nature of things an elite is an unavoidable thing, I mean, I, it would be best if they were somehow empathetic. Although, although empathy is itself kind of a mental muscle, a mental mm-hmm. emotional muscle. True. That has to be it's true, um, man. It has true. to be continuously exercised for fear of uh, losing sight of some things. Yeah. I I'm sad to say that I never finished Gold and Silver. Um, because they're I, very long. They are pretty long. They tacked on the entire other game onto the back of Gold and Silver. It was kind of annoying, actually. I um I accidentally kept 150 my silver, was too many. I accidentally kept yeah. the cartridge to my silver Game Boy game yeah. in my uh in my coat pocket for a year. And when I remembered it and took it out, it uh the save battery no longer worked. Yeah. So I would have had to have beaten the game in one sitting. <laughs> I believe in you, Ruben. I believe you can do it. I think I don't I, know if your Game Boy can do it because I'm not sure how much battery life it has. I mean, but you it, can do it. I mean, hypothetically, you could plug it into a wall. Um, while you played, uh, but uh, but yeah. Oh man, here's here's a question. Here's a question. You know what you want to play, man. Uh, hold on, I, I can't. I can't make out you what you're. I can't make out what you're asking me. Soul Silver. Those are like objectively the best Pokemon games. Okay, I, what I think you said. What I think Heart said, Gold and Soul Silver are the best Pokemon games. I would say that that is probably true, uh, and I'm saying that as someone who did not get very far in them. But I would say that that is probably true because they, they are the game that I can think of with the most significant, obvious things added to the game that are, that are significant updates to the whole, like, uh, updates to the whole, like, concept formula. Yeah. It's really the best way they've ever done that concept of Pokemon, I think. There was a lot of fun stuff. There were tons of different Pokemon you could work with. And um, there's a whole world. It was really cool. They had a lot of like really like Japanese sounding music because it's supposed to be the traditional part of Japan is where it's supposed to take place. And so you have ancient pagodas and stuff. Um, but that didn't really come across in Gold and Silver because it was for Game Boy. I certainly didn't notice that when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, I didn't notice they were doing that shit until I got uh, sword over here. And I was like, oh, this is this is clearly like <laughs> England or Europe, uh, and then no, like I looked at. They did that. They did that. They did Eastern. Yeah. Okay, we're having a lot of. You looked at them and you saw what? What you see? Well, I mean, like, well, no. What I'm saying is that uh, your sound, you're uh, you're coming through very garbly. 
Well, look, tell me what you saw about the Pokemon, and then I'm going to have to go and eat pizza. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, so, so yeah. So in Sword, the thing I noticed, well, actually, Sword was the one where I really Sword, Sword is the game where I really picked up on like how corporate controlled everything in the Pokemon world was, like, like, like the whole storyline where you, you're like. Friend, is it your brother or your friend's older brother? Uh, is like I didn't play Sword. Oh, you haven't played Sword? Well, well, one of them has like uh, they're basically I've only like played. Yeah. Basically, basically, like one of you has like a brother who is who is like a Pokemon master, who's like a huge celebrity athlete guy, and like everyone in the town knows him and like his success helps the town financially. It's very, it, that kind of stuff is kind of interesting to me about it. Um, also like the bad guys in it are a toxic fan base for this one other Pokemon celebrity person. <laughs> That's pretty Which, funny. Apparently there's a twist with that, that I haven't gotten to, but uh but I am excited for the new Pokemon game, which is, I mean, all Pokemon games are kind of open world games, but like my understanding is this new Pokemon game is like open world, open world. It's what I'm hearing. You're going to take a, a page out of Breath of the Wilds book? That sounds really good. That, that I mean, that's like what it looks rock. like in the trailers. I haven't, pl- it's not Dude. coming out till November, but I am, I, I am interested. Yeah. But- like they were in the, the one was in Hawaii, the other was in France, they had one in New York, and then they had four corners of Japan. I did not know about the New York one. Um, that was that was fifth generation, I didn't play that one, but I played the France one just because, but yeah, no, like in Sword, it's like like the architecture is very like like they have lots of like night stuff, like like British, like there's lots of like scenery where it's clearly like references to like medieval england and like maybe ireland yeah the next one's going to be in spain interesting i think i think that the ultimate pokemon game would be is if they made an mmo where they connected all the different areas from the pokemon game (laughs) into one massively online multiplayer game i think that i gotta tell you something I gotta tell you something. I want to see a Pokemon game in ancient Mexico, and I want to see one in like China or one in like India or something, or like with the Egyptians. I think that'd be badass. One, two. Speaking of awesome parts of the world that nobody ever does in games, like like the Middle East or like the Aztecs or whatever. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Breath of the Wild, have you played Genshin Impact? I have not played Genshin Impact. It's it's anime trash, and I'll suck you in. So don't. But it's good. I'm having okay. fun with it. No, right now, actually, what I'm playing is um, is Shining Force. Dude, like for the Genesis? Well, yeah, I have the uh, I have the Switch online uh, uh, online uh, thing, so I have access to a bunch of Genesis games on my Switch. Cool, man. You're gonna play? You ever beat Fantasy Star, bro? Uh, I did not. Uh, the farthest I ever got in Fantasy Star was definitely when you loaned me uh, that game boy advance collection that has the uh, the three genesis games on it um i do i I do have access i do actually have access to the fantasy star games uh because i have both the uh 
the Sega Mega Collection and I also uh, Fantasy awesome. Star Four is also currently on the on the Switch Online service. Now, but like four is like the most fun one and easy to do. And I said you should do four first, but one is really cool and two is like weird and dark and really difficult, but kind of worth it if you want to suffer. Okay. All right. Well, I'll, I'll take that under, in, I'll take that note of that because like. <laughs> There was a part of me that has been wanting to play uh, Fantasy Star 4, but I'm like, uh, should I beat 2 and 3 first? Because I don't have access to 1. Just just, uh, just the first, just those three, just the ones that were on the Genesis. But, uh, but since you say 4 is the, probably the good one to start with, maybe I will do that one first. Yeah, 3 is very strange. Three, nobody, I didn't beat 3, actually. People say 3 is like a different series, but like 4, 1, and 2 are all very cool, actually. Very cool. Yeah. I will definitely have to I did. That out. I'm going to eat pizza, but so I want to call you and talk about video games sometime. Oh, yeah. We can talk about it. Yeah, we, we should totally talk about video games sometime. Yeah. Also, shout out to everyone on the podcast. Shout out to my crew. Shout out to my homies and my homeboys and homegirls. Shout out to my home non-binaries. Shout out to the home. Okay. Very cool. All right. Well, that actually sounds like a good way to, to intro us out. So uh, goodbye, everyone listening. Oh, wait. Do you have anything you want to promote? Oh, promote. Uh, okay. You're breaking up terribly there now. So. I like the social critic and historian Christopher Lash. Yeah, that's that's the CIA trying to prevent me from telling you the truth. Critic and historian, um, Christopher Lax, sense of American history currently. That's my opinion. Christopher Lax, American history. Lash, yeah, L A S C H. All right, so go read some history by some guy named Christopher Lash, everybody. All it's right, it's called it's called uh, Progress Center Critics. That's the good one. Oh, okay, that was the part the CIA was trying to stop. all right well thank you for listening everyone and have a great whatever time of day you're listening to this badass